It's that time of the week again. It's that time when the latest episode of Digital Kill the Radio Star drops. Drop! It's time to waste another hour or so with David and Chris as they spout out more of their worthless music knowledge. It's time to hear them discuss the music of their youth. As well as the music of today. So kick back, relax, and have some fun with David and Chris. Digital Kill the Radio Star starts right now. (laughs) Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Digital Kill the Radio Star podcast. This is David. I'm here with my buddy Chris, and we are back after a, a couple of week layoff. I hope everybody has had a good week, and wherever you are, I hope you're enjoying some nice uh, spring weather. Uh, we're finally getting that here, and it feels great. So, uh, Chris, it's been a while. How are you? Man, no complaints. How are you, post-op? I'm good, man. I'm good. Um, ready to uh, ready to go run a marathon. Uh, good. <laughs> um, I'm doing good. I tell you, who's not having a good day is uh, our friends in Sunvolt. Boy, that album's a stinker, isn't it? Well, you know, I haven't seen any reviews from anybody. I've tried to find them, and um, hey, I don't know what other people are going to think, but I, uh, yeah, I'm, I mean, it, look, it may. I'm going to give it plenty of chances because I, I literally like, and, and I'm not exaggerating when I say this. I literally like everything Jay Farrar has put out, and. Um, this album just kind of surprised me. I uh, I thought that um, I agreed with you that the the tone sounded the same, the vocals, the voice sounded the same, the song sounded the same, and a lot of them just didn't sound that good. And I like Farrar historically. I like Farrar as a uh, as a as a lyricist as well. And to me, these lyrics are so just trite, simplistic. Um, I mean, it's like he just got, and I don't care what your political affiliation is, but it's like he got all of his talking points from watching Bernie Sanders. And it's the most obvious, there's like, there's no creativity to it, which was kind of surprising to me. You know, that's just, those are my opinions. So obviously not a glowing review so far. No, I've only listened all the way through it one time. I've listened to the first half of it now a couple of times. And the first couple of songs, all basically, they're interchangeable. Uh, it's the same. Yeah. It's the same pace, same tempo, same delivery. Now, when you get toward the middle and toward the the back end of it, uh, it changes up a little bit. But like I found, like as the album went along, like it just the lyrics got worse as the album went along. Yeah, he's a great. Like I said, he's a great lyricist. Historically, he's been a really good lyricist. But it's almost like he it felt contrived. Like he just tried too hard to make a point. Like. If Springsteen sings about politics, it's like it's coming from somewhere. It's it's believable. You believe what he's what he's singing about. You may not agree with everything, but you believe his passion. 
this was just like, okay, I'm going to cover this, I'll cover that. Uh, oh, yeah, let me cover this part, too. And it's just like, dude, come on. Well, you know, that Okima and the Melody of Rot, which is one of my favorite Sunvolt albums, it's got a ton of political overtones to it. But like you said, it's a lot more creative. It's a lot more... Yeah, it doesn't bother me. It doesn't bother me. Yeah. You have to, you know, out songs like Jet Pilot and uh, 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 Joe Citizen Blues, which is on like the bonus thing. And, and then, you know, some of the stuff on The Search was like that, but it, it was it was creative. And I don't know. I, I'm like you said, like every Sunvolt album... And I really, and also like one of his solo albums are like the one with like voodoo candle on it. Um, mm-hmm. You know, they've all been above average. And so, I mean, I guess the fact that he's what, maybe 30 years in his recording career and he finally put out something that is not up to par. I mean, that's pretty impressive. It is. It's just, you don't, you, it's, it's like one of those things when he puts out a new record, you buy it, not because you're just going to continue to support him. You buy it because it's a sure thing. You know, you know you're going to like it. And look, in time, I may I may like this record. I, I mean, I'm 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 willing to admit I may like it and as it grow, if it grows on me. But it, I do find it kind of hard to believe that it won't climb out of the last place spot, at least with his Sunvolt recordings. Yeah, I I agree, and you know I had sent you uh, a text. I know a couple of months ago when I was reading an article about it, and it was the article basically said it was just going to be a straight up you know folk kind of protest album, and uh, you responded, "I'm still going to get it because everything he does I love." And then by about what seven thirty this morning, that st- <laughs> that statement had been proven false. We were I was on my way to the doctor's office and was texting you, and and you're like. It's really bad. <laughs> yeah, um, like I said, I'm going to give it time. I, I think I may. I, I, I don't think I'll ever love it, but I may look at it like, okay, it's an okay record. It's just one of those things where it's disappointment. Okay, I'm, I'm, I'm going to shift subjects a little bit. Like, I'm going to give you just another example because I know I don't know if you even plan to talk about this, but let's just spend a couple a couple minutes on it because I'm sure people listen to us. They they probably do wonder what we think. When I so I got. Our, our buddy, our mutual friend, and I, we watched Friday night. We watched The Dirt after we went to see Weezer and the Pixies. We'll get to that in a second, too. But um, we got back and we watched The Dirt. And we were both like, this sucks. And I ended up watching it on, that was Friday, and I watched it again on Sunday. And not long after I'd watched it, our buddy's texting us saying, you know, this actually, and I'm watching it again, and it's, it's really not bad. And, uh, I had, like I said, I'd already watched it, and I was thinking, I, I actually really enjoyed that. The point is, the expectations were so high. They could not live up to it. And so, maybe that's what happens with Sunvolt, because that happened with the dirt. I thought, this kind of sucks. And second full watch of it, I enjoyed it. I mean, I, I really did. Well, I've only watched it that once. And, um, Watch it again. Yeah, I, I am. I am because you're the third person I've heard say that. And, and so, somebody posted that on Twitter. Yeah. They, I think that they had watched it like four or five times and it got better each time. Well, you know, you know, the the book, The Dirt, is one of the more fascinating books I've ever read, read in my life. And just it's just it just goes to show like 
the debauchery you can get into when you never have anybody telling you no and you have the you know all the money that you want um and so i was really i've been curious as to how this was going to work the whole, ever since i heard it you know for sure was coming out because we've been hearing about it for 15 years but um yeah i got up that morning um and i started watching it at like seven and i sent you i sent you a text and kate in a text and i was like i'm gonna withhold you know i'm not gonna say anything to you i've seen it and you're like it's it, you must hate it and i mean i gave it like i my initial uh siskel and ebert rating would have been three out of five stars um and probably being a little bit generous on that um but you know y'all said it was better you watched it the second time and, and i've just seen several people online have said the exact same thing so i may when we get through recording this tonight i may prop up and, and watch it again You'll get to a comfortable, if you were being generous given the three, you'll at least get to a comfortable three, five. Well, one of the problems I had with it was it almost made, like, it made Vince Neal out to be almost cartoonish at at some points. And then, uh, like, I kind of thought it was going to be more of like a, like, I, I guess Nikki or each one of them having flashbacks. Instead of it just being like, you know, here's an event eighty two, here's the event eighty four. That's kind of how I thought it was going to be, but um, yeah, I mean, I'm not the. I've seen people are either loving it or hating it. It seems, um, and so. most actually do. Like the the fan that if you look at Flickster, which is the fan you know reviews, it's I think high eighties, and the critics hate it. So the fans are actually enjoying it, and. And it does get better. I uh, I actually I liked the Nikki uh, uh, Tommy. I think that that Machine Gun Kelly guy nailed Tommy. You can say, oh well, God, he looked at, he acted like such an idiot, such a douche. That's Tommy. I mean, that's what he is. Um, I thought the uh, Mick Mars and Vince were kind of weak, and uh, but you know, it. I guess if I could have changed, if you let me change one thing on that movie. I'm going to say it was about, it was just under, it was about an hour 45. Stretch it out to like, you know, like the Queen movie was about 2.15 or something like that. Stretch it out to at least 2.15. Give us another 30 minutes to get a little bit more stories. Because if if you've ever read The Dirt, if you if you watch that movie and you liked it, read The Dirt. And I don't even care if you're not a Motley Crue fan. Just read The Dirt. It's um, They left out so much. And there's so many more shocking stories in the book and I just feel like an hour and 45 there is no way they could cover it and since it's a Netflix, a Netflix show and maybe it wouldn't have done that well but I actually think it would have done well you might could have even done like a you know a three or four part mini series on it because it is so long um, I think that would have been a good idea the, yeah I think those are some of the things they could have done a little bit differently but and I'm going to say this, I'm shifting subjects a little bit, but still staying on it. Nobody ever really truly believed Motley Crue was done because they're like every other band. It's like, hey, we're done. Of course, they sign a contract, which means absolutely nothing. But they are the most popular they have been, honestly, since the early 90s. And I truly believe that. They're the most popular they've been since the early 90s. And I think it's going to be very difficult for them not to get out on the road. I mean, mark my words. I, they may they may not do it, but I think it's going to be so difficult not to do a The Dirt 
tour. You yeah, know? and and all the interviews and everything I've seen, Mick Mars looks to be in pretty good shape considering. Yeah, I I just I feel like that's kind of coming. Um, who knows? That's why that's why I just wish nobody would ever ever do the farewell. I understand why they do it because they think it's going to get butts in seats and you know make more money. It got you and but, I to go to Kiss. Yeah, you're right. Um, and Kiss, it could be the last one because of their age, but it may last another three years. Right. You know, you never know. But I just wish they'd stop. They'd stop all that kind of stuff because nobody ever really buys it. And even though I went to Kiss, I'm not convinced. I really just went because of their age, and so like I know they can't go that much longer. Well, I saw but, I saw the other day. I was reading an article where uh, Rachel Boland from Skid Row was being interviewed about how they opened up for Kiss. Uh, you know, twenty something years ago on their farewell tour, and yeah. uh, they were saying, "Would you go out on the road with them and open up on this tour?" He goes, "Yeah, it'd be nice to say we played from on both of their farewell tours twenty years apart." <laughs> yeah, um, it's so true though. It's just it's just stupid. But, hey, well, you talked about going to see uh, Weezer and the Pixies. I haven't really heard from you. How was that? Um, it was really really good. We had excellent seats. I uh. Well, they should have. They were cheap enough. Well, yeah, the upper tier. So the upper tier was not, they didn't even sell it. Not that they weren't selling tickets. They didn't even sell them. And um, and so it, it should have never been in the FedEx Forum to begin with. But uh, I got tickets two or three days before the, they, the show, before the show. And I got them super close in like the second or third row, first level off of the floor. Um, I think maybe the sec- second section to the side. So very good seats. And they were, I have a feeling, because considering people had seats that were way higher up and way in the back, I have a feeling they just, like they do sometimes, they release tickets a couple of days before the shows. And, um, yeah, I was able to get basically a two for the price of one. And the show was great. You know, I'd seen the Pixies before. I, I had never seen, um, never seen Weezer, and I thought the Pixies were great. They, but I think our buddy kind of made a good point. It, it almost felt like, I mean, the band sounded really, really good. Almost sounded like Frank Black was kind of phoning it in a bit. Like he wasn't really trying a whole lot vocally. Uh, opening band was really good too. It's a band called Basement. I had never heard of them. I listened their latest album that they did. I don't know the name of it, but just if you get on iTunes or Spotify, uh, look at it. It's the most recent one they did. Look at that one. It's really, really good. I, I was surprised they got the build because they're uh, they kind of sound like um, I don't know in the vein of like a Taking Back Sunday, like '90s uh, or to early 2000s emo. But they were good, and they're they're a British band. And then Weezer was just solid rock show it's one that yeah they i mean every it's like there's two phases of weezer like they're completely different bands the first part is great the second i hate their poppy stuff and there's even a skit on snl if you've never seen it just go just look up on youtube weezer snl and they they kind of touch on that the way people are so it's it's such a um i i don't know it it, it it's one of those things that can kind of stir some people up about Weezer. They uh, they get fired up about what they've done in the I guess the second half of their careers. But live, we had a few of those songs for the most part, and it was hit after hit, and they were great. Did they play Pork and Beans? 
think they did. That's a later. That's a later. That's a later Weezer song that I really like. Yeah, I, it is good, and I think they did play it. I just can't remember their set list, but they played most all of their known songs. Well, I had a man. I think like I hardly basically everybody that I knew was at that show. I had like six people, five or six people, I think, from my work go, um, or at least went with their husbands or their husbands and wives. But I think they got some tickets for like twenty two dollars a piece. Yeah, they probably just went a little bit further back than we did, whatever. But we got—I mean, ours were—I think ours were about forty-four, forty-five a piece. And, and those are—they were initially it would have been, you know, about eighty, ninety bucks. I mean, that's what it would have been. When when's the last time you went to a show in a in an arena that big and it, the tickets were that cheap? No, I, I don't remember. I don't remember, but. Um, yeah, it, it was it was a cool show, cool backdrop. Um, it was just it was very entertaining. Not just if you like the songs, they're all very entertaining. And it, it's one it's one of the you know they're kind of one of the few bands that you can fill it up, and people that have never bought a Weezer album are going to enjoy themselves because they're going to know most of the songs. I agree. I think they're they're one of those bands that. If you, your wife's not in the music, like, hey, I'm going to see Weezer, and she's like, I'll, I'll go with you. She's going to get there and walk out going, I knew a whole, whole lot more Weezer songs than I thought I did. Absolutely. Hey, and they opened, too. This is what was really cool. They opened with My Name is Jonas. Which, which That's a great opener. Which album is that off of? First one, Blue Album. Yeah, I'm not from... I'm, 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 I'm not familiar with their with their deep tracks. I just kind of know the hits, and then, like I said, I love that song "Pork and Beans." And then um, I have, I know I have the Green album, and I have the one that has "We're All on Drugs" on it. Um, Listen to the Blue album, the self titled one. The Green album, I think, is highly underrated. I, I would put that as number three for me. Um, number two, I'd go with Pinkerton, and Pinkerton for me is the connection between why Weezer and the Pixies tour together. Because, I mean, you listen to Pinkerton, and there's no doubt they were influenced by the Pixies. But, hey, and a, few th- a couple of things before we move on. I uh, like See, David does these, like, little album. He'll do, if you're ever wondering why I don't ever jump on these podcasts, he might listen to like, doing an album, whatever. He knows this. He still asks me to do a bunch of album podcasts. I just don't get into that. Um, so I know you've done, like, a couple of things. I haven't in a while, so... You're going to have to let me ramble. Go for ahead. A um, so I do want to say, like, the, the last, I haven't, we haven't done one of these since I was in Dallas, and everybody that's listened to us knows that my f- absolute favorite newer band is Death Heaven. And I got to go see one of the better shows I've seen in a very long time because it's not often that you go see three bands that you're very excited to see all three of them. And, they all delivered. And, you know, the first band was Zeal and Ardor. I know they're not going to be for everybody. It's going to be kind of tough for some people out there listening to us. But <laughs> As if Death Heaven didn't. I know, I, 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 they are. And I, but I've already explained that. Right. So, but, but Zeal and Ardor is, it, it sounds like black plantation working sing-alongs, spirituals, uh, Delta Blues, 
gospel and insane screaming metal all mixed together. Yes, I know. That shouldn't work. It does. For me, anyway. And um, guys like this Swiss American guy, he uh, is this black dude, and he he uh, he said he said he like always thought about like working in the fields and all, and thought you know they're all singing <laughs> they're all singing to Jesus and all. What if we were out there working and singing to Satan? And so it makes for a very interesting type sound. And they came out with like the the big. I don't even know what you'd call it. They're dressed like death when they come walking out with the big, you know hoods on and everything and he plays guitar and he's got these two guys one of them are standing on each side of him and they're doing all the background to give it that big like kind of sing-along spiritual type sound it comes over very well live um if you want to hear something interesting zeal z-e-a-l symbol for and arter a-r-d-o-r and then David, you and I have gone back and forth on this, and I still don't know how to pronounce it because next we saw Baroness, Baroness, however you want to call them. Because now I thought, now I thought you said it was it was Baroness, and I was saying Baroness, and you were saying it was Baroness. I think you though. I think you said Baroness because you were you're saying it was because of my Sharona. Okay, well, yeah, one of us was... Whatever, we're confused as can be, Pete. Yeah, hey, so we if, don't if, know. if you're in the band, we'd like to talk to you. <laughs> yeah, we don't have a clue, because I heard somebody on Liquid Metal, I think, say... I think they said Baroness, and then Death Heaven, which is probably the right way if he says it, he said... He said... Uh, he's, like, no, they said Baroness, and then Death Heaven said Baroness. So it's pro- I guess it's probably Bronus if Death Evans said it, but they were whatever their name is. They're really good. They kind of remind me of um, like Clutch. You said a good one, Mastodon. Even some Melvin's Crunch in it. And Death Heaven was just absolutely amazing. I mean, they blew me away. I, I if I didn't already think they were my favorite new band that solidified it they were they're just they're they're showmen they i mean they give it everything on the stage and i don't know it it was it was a super 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 cool show how many people were there i think somebody somebody told me that the place holds about 750 and i would say it was about 85 Ninety percent packed, maybe. I mean, so minimum five hundred. Well, you know, so pretty decent, maybe pretty decent crowd. All three of those bands are kind of riding a a, a little bit of a hot hand. Um, Death, they are. Death Haven's kind of the kind of the flavor of the month right now. And then um, I didn't realize how um, we're going to go with Baroness. I'm going to make an executive decision. Okay. Uh, I didn't. You know, I don't. Really, the first time I heard of them was literally like probably a week or two before you told me you were going to see them. And I didn't realize that they have a, like the, they get a lot of critical acclaim. Um, and it's, I will tell you this, they went on before death heaven and a decent amount of people left after they played, they were there to see them. Yeah. 
Well, like I said, they have that song "Shock Me," which I think is phenomenal. It is. Uh, and that's a that's a that's a good song. They have a new album coming out, and so my goal with that is, you know, sometimes like when I'm like, oh, I, I like this band, it's kind of overwhelming when they got like five or six albums out, you know, and you can't like, it's not like the old days where you have you know a year or two to spend with each one. So I think what my plan with them is when the new album comes out, buy it and really sink my teeth into it. And if I like it, start going back album by album on them. But yeah, they've got a, they've got a, you can go look, they get great reviews. They do. And like, like I said, it's a co-headlining tour that they've been doing with Death Heaven. And they're alternating who goes on last each night. And I was fortunate I got to see Death Heaven go on last. That's because that's, that's my band. So I wanted them to go on last. But um, but yeah, there were there were definitely some uh, uh, there were a good bit of people that left afterward. Now, it wasn't definitely wasn't playing the half packed house, but they probably had fifty to hundred people. I mean, I'd say probably about a hundred people left, not immediately. And who knows? Maybe they that came there for for uh, what do we say we're going with Baroness? Baroness. Baroness. Maybe they came there for Baroness. They didn't know anything about Death Heaven, and once Death Heaven came on, they're like, "Okay, I can't take this guy's vocals." Um, <laughs> maybe, and it was also a Sunday night. You know, my cousin had to leave a little bit early because he had work very right. early in the morning. So that was that was probably a little bit of it too. They they um, you know, Bronus had the they had the benefit of you know people not having to stay out way too late that wanted to see their full set. But yeah, like my cousin friend who you could tell totally not a metalhead he had no clue who death heaven was he came to the show because he's super into into Barona, super into them um but yeah they're they're a good band and i'm, I'm definitely going to check out more of them you know as a result and then just a couple of other things i was going to mention uh, you know we talked about just a couple things i want to mention music wise one i'm going to give a throwback one and i know i mentioned this to you but one that I never really, I never knew this band, and I'd heard the name, but I did not know their music until I watched one of those, uh, if, if y'all have never, anybody listen, if y'all have never watched on um, on YouTube, What's In My Bag, check it out. What's, hey, what's the name of the record store? Is it LA? Is it a, LA it's Amoeba Records, I think. I think hey, where is that? I know it's in California. Yeah, it's, I think it's in LA. I think it may be a chain, but I, I, that one that you normally see them doing it with is the one in LA. Yeah. And, um, so a band that kind of, I, I got turned on to because of death Evans, a band called, um, uh, Alcest. and, um, their singer, it's a French band. Their singer did a what's in my bag. And one of the albums he picked was, was the chameleons. And I'd heard the name and never really listened to them. And he picked an album called Script of the Bridge. This thing came out in 83. And it's it's a post-punk goth, you know, a little bit of new wave type sound. And they're just one of those bands that got, I mean, it happens all the time. Pick the genre. There's one that you think should have been huge. Like, I mean, when we always talk about how we grew up listening to, to hair metal and, and glam, we could I could easily say a band like, Bang Tango should have been much bigger than they were. And this was just one of those bands that, you know, got, you know, The Cure and Joy Division and Bauhaus and all those bands. They they got Depeche Mode 
they got all the attention. But man, this script of the bridge is absolutely stellar. I mean, it's one of the best albums from that genre I've ever heard. And when I when I saw that, I bet you I listened to that album every single day at least once for about two weeks. What's the name of the band? The Chameleons. Okay. Uh, it up, is. Pull them up on my Spotify. absolutely outstanding. It's called Script of the Bridge. Just an amazing record that I highly recommend anybody. Just if you like that post-punk sound, that post-punk goth, you, you do yourself a favor and listen to it. And then the last thing, and then we'll go to our, our topic. Unless you have something else, you know, I, I I sent this to you earlier, David. I sent it to you in a text, and I've listened to the album a few times, and I heard that song on XMU, and I thought, well, let me listen to the album again, and it's a I don't know how new she is because she's done, I think at least two or three albums, but Sharon Van Etten, she has a new album and it's called Remind Me Tomorrow. And I told David, man, listen to the song 17. Her vocals are so good. And you and I were texting earlier about all these albums you've been looking, you know, looking forward to for so long. It's a lot of letdowns. Um, so far, Sharon Van Etten's album may be, it, it's one of the best albums for sure, heard so far in 2019. And I don't listen to a lot of female vocalists, but it is so good, and her voice is just outstanding. Do you follow her on Instagram? I don't. All right. While we're talking, yeah, well, no, you can't do it while we're recording, but when you yeah, I can, I, oh. can, I can get on. Look her up on Instagram and see what how she what, do it right now. and see what she said. Like it has like underneath Sharon Van Etten, but look what it has her name as at the top. All right, give me just one second. Bear so, with us, people. Yeah, so for people out there, oh Sharon Van Halen. Yeah, is that not correct? Weird. Yeah, that's funny though. Um. Anyway, yeah, I'm actually wanting, wanting to see what she looks like. That um that song that you um um sent me I I listened to it while I was uh just laying around today and it sounded good so I saved the album on my Spotify to give it a uh, to give it a uh, a listen um I don't really have uh, anything I haven't done a whole lot the last couple of weeks so I've listened to a lot of music but um, it's just a lot of stuff that uh, uh, I've already had um, and. Haven't been to any shows since we saw Kiss. Have a a few. I actually have more than a few coming up. Um, looking forward to. But um, Chris, you got anything else? No, no, I'm good. Finally, uh, right? <laughs> no, that was that was actually interesting. We had Def Haven, Def Haven, Def Haven, uh, Heaven, Heaven. I, why do I get I get that mixed up all the time? I know you do. Uh, Def Heaven. Uh, we had uh, a female kind of folk singer, and we had something akin to the Smith. So that, that that's par for the course, Chris. Uh, yeah. All right. So Absolutely. our top. Hey, our, I, and we had Sunvolt too. Sunvolt, yeah. We get around to it, but the new LA Games came out as well today, and it's actually pretty damn good. So yeah, let's wait. Let's wait let's and talk about that when, when. Let's wait and talk about that one when we have Kate on. Um, <laughs> all right. So, um, our topic this week is one I came up with uh, a couple weeks ago. Um, since uh, rock uh, biopics and documentaries are kind of all the rage right now, I thought maybe Chris and I should talk about some of our favorite uh, music movies and uh, 
and documentaries, it certainly seems that it's the flavor of the month, Chris. Yeah. Right now, and I've I've read that there's a new one about to come out of from Elton about Elton John that um I've heard that too the uh, people that did Bohemian Rhapsody did so and Nikki Six was actually I listened to part of his Eddie Trunk interview and he was saying originally the people I think that were going to do Bohemian Rhapsody and I may have this completely wrong and the Elton John pick wanted to do it but they wanted to sanitize it a lot. Um, and so I think that's why they went with Netflix and the director, uh, Jeff Tremaine. But anyway, uh, so Chris and I are just going to talk about a few of our kind of favorite rock movies and documentaries. And I've, since I came up with the topic, I'll, I'll go first. When, when I think of this subject, immediately the first thing that comes to mind is one of my top five movies of all time. And that's Almost Famous. Um, really put Kate Hudson on the on the map and uh, loosely based on the life of Cameron Crowe. And um, I think the band is really supposed to be the Almond Brothers because I think that's who uh, he he went around with. But, uh, man, just every time I watch that, I'm like, man, I wish I was that kid, kid and that could happen to me. But that's when I think of music movies, that's the first one that, that comes to my mind every time. Yeah, I like that movie a lot too, and I, you know, and I kind of, I would agree and say that was one I I could probably I could probably put on my list, um, and I do like the aspect that it's um, that it is based on a true story, and of course just the the iconic iconic scene, the sing along, but I absolutely I just I love that. Oh, it's one of the that's one of the the biggest universally loved moments in movies in our lifetime. Yeah, that that's a, that that is a good movie though. And you know I that like that, a lot. that band, they actually, you know, uh Nancy Wilson of Heart wrote a lot of that music. And they actually she was saying one time that they actually performed Heart actually performed some of it one time in a concert cuz apparently people really like try to get, you know, uh, Fever Dog was the name of the song. I think you can actually find it on like Spotify. But yeah, so you know she was married to Cameron Crowe at the time, and so uh, the music they were playing actually was you know written by somebody who knew what they were talking about. Oh, okay. Well, I will stay on. I'm going to try to keep up with you on this as far as going with. It's the only one I have on my list that I would. I think it is. Let me look through it. Yeah, it's the only thing I have on my list that is. Not, of course, this one's not relate, not in any bit truth, but so yours at least has some kind of truth to it. But this is one that's not based on a band or singer or anything. So, but I, I thought this one, when you want a movie about music, I, I just love Crazy Heart with uh, Jeff Bridges. You know, I've never I seen thought, that. Oh, uh, man. Yeah, I, I, I would say put that on your watch list this weekend. Seriously. I, I think it. Uh, I'm that confident you'll you'll absolutely love it. And um, Ryan Bingham, he wrote the, the song "Crazy Heart" and the title track, and he plays in early in the movie. Um, Jeff Bridges goes to uh, his name is uh, Bad Blake, I believe. He goes to uh, it's, it's one of those kind of sad things, like a has been, where he is just this megastar and he's just this completely drunk. It's almost like the um, music version of the wrestler. And he goes in, he's playing bowling alleys. 
he goes in a bowling alley and his backing band is Ron Bingham and, and who was his actual, it was Ron Bingham and Ron Bingham's actual real band at that time of the movie. They're doing the backing, the backing band for him when he goes into a bowling alley. Well, this, but, uh, this had to have been when Ron Bingham was just kind of first getting on the scene. Yeah, he had actually already had at least the first two albums. At least the first two were already out. But um, it may have only been the first two. But but yeah, it's um, it's it's a it's a good it's a really good movie and one that I'd highly recommend. I mean, it's a it's you know pretty sad movie. Um, it's kind of I mean, in all honesty, too. I mean, I think about it. I, I've I've seen the real life version of what kind of is going on when I, I saw, um, yeah, for example, I, uh, not to pick on one particular person, but yeah, you think about how big white line was in the day. And I saw Mike Tramp playing just an acoustic guitar and he's driving around the country in a rented car and with an acoustic. And he played to probably about 15, 20 people. And that's basically what the character of Bad Blake is doing in this movie. Yeah, well, I'm gonna have to see if it's on Netflix or whatever and try to watch it this weekend. You'll love, you'll absolutely any, love it. I don't have anything else to do. Um, let's see. I'm gonna stick with with movies real real quick. Uh, I'm gonna have to go with one I just saw recently, and that's uh, Bohemian Rhapsody. Admittedly, I'm not a huge Queen fan. I know the hits, which is a lot. But as far as their history and you know the minutia of their of their existence, um, I'm not familiar with it. So like a lot of the things that bothered me, that bothered pe- other people about the movie, didn't bother me. I thought the guy playing him nailed it, and it is worth it just to watch. I think like the last 22 mo- minutes of the movie where they recreate um, the Live Aid performance. They did such a good job of recreating it. They even had it down to the number of Pepsi cans that he had on top. Because I watched the movie and then came home and watched it on Live Aid. His mannerisms, the things he did, like I said, there's a certain number of those old-fashioned Pepsi cans were on top of the piano. Um, Just amazing. And I read where Brian May said it was just really weird because the guy that was playing him, Basically, they were like he was channeling him. He was doing things that there's no way he could have known that Freddie used to do. And so, not just being a mega Queen fan, I was able to watch it objectively and not, you know, pick it apart. Uh, Looking back on it now, I see, you know, why some people get frustrated because there's a lot of things that either didn't happen or happened really bad out of order. And obviously, a lot of people liked it because the guy won, I think, Best Actor at the uh, Academy Awards. Yeah, you know, I, I, uh, I heard just recently that that Live Aid performance that they did on there was the first thing they filmed for that movie. Wow. But, um, but the, um, you know, I, I liked the movie. I didn't like it as much as everybody else did, but I did like it. And I'm not, I'm not I, I throw myself in the same category as you as far as my, my opinion of them. I mean, they're, they're a good band that never, I never got really into. But, even not being a big fan, I still knew enough to know as I'm watching it, this isn't adding up, you know, because they, um, just the way, because even like they made it sound like once they got that, once he had, you know, 
found out he had AIDS. Like, let's do this one last performance, and then Freddie's going to die. Well, they kept recording after that. Yeah, they like they hit the like, three or four more albums. Yeah, and that's what I'm saying. Even even I knew as I'm watching, like, this isn't right. Right, and they never broke and, up. Yeah, and so it was a bit of. I don't even think I knew that part, but I was like, this is a bit of a stretch. So, yeah, they they Hollywooded it up even more than the dirt did. And they all do that, but they really did on that one, from what I can tell, especially if the breakup was fake. Yeah. But, but yeah, the guy did, it, it, still, did a great job. He did. He, he, he absolutely did. And the guy looked like, uh, Brian, he did a good, had a good Brian May. Yeah, he did. Um, well, I will, uh, you know, I'll, I'll stick, I've got, I'm going to go, I think I've got three of, well, of course, well, you'll go next and all, but I've got three, three that'll kind of fit that, that model of, um, movies based off of real bands or, or singers. And the first one I'm going to go with doesn't get, it didn't get near the attention or hype and it's not thought of in the great ones as much as it should have been because. My cousin and I always talk about just how phenomenal this movie is, and that's Love and Mercy with uh, about Brian Wilson. Um, have you seen that one? I have not. It is such a good movie. It. Um, when did it come out? Probably, give or take, three years ago. And you have two guys playing Brian Wilson. The uh, the first one. The young Brian Wilson is played by Paul Dano, who I've always thought Paul Dano is just an insanely talented actor. He, uh, look, I'm not saying I'm the prettiest guy in the world, but he's not the, the most attractive guy. And the reason why I say that is, I think it's kind of like Steve Buscemi. I think if he was a more attractive guy, he would be one of the biggest actors in the world. Because I, I think he's so good. But he plays young Brian Wilson. And then John Cusack plays the older Brian Wilson and it goes all about, you know, the rise and Brian Wilson, where he had that, you know, that live in doctor or whatever he was, it just brought him. I mean, just made a mess of his life. Um, a Svengali. Yeah. It, it, the, the way, you know, and his wife was played by Elizabeth Banks, who just really just brought him out of it and just changed everything for him. And it just gets into the, um, you know, it touches on the, the way that he, you know, like the old, was it the old, this is probably the only time we'll ever mention this band, the old Bare Naked Lady song, Lying in Bed, just like Ron Wilson did. Just, you know, because he literally did. He lived in bed. And um, then it just gets into the mad genius of him, recording pet sounds. And um, it's, it's a really good movie. And the reason why I say it is so forgotten just because i mentioned it to you you've never seen it couldn't even remember when it came out and it's it's one that should have done a lot better because it's uh wonderful acting and good script just a really really good movie i'll have to put that one on my list too yeah i think that would be fascinating because his his not necessarily fall for grace but spiral spiraling out of control into madness is yeah Kind of a kind of a it's a legend. Yeah. Um, let's see. All right, so I'm done with the movie portion. Um, if we didn't, if I, if one of us didn't mention this, people would 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 let us hear it. So I'm going to go with the rise and fall of Western civilization part two. Uh, it was about the uh, blossoming hair metal scene. Uh, 
and I guess to some extent heavy metal um, in Los Angeles in the mid to late 80s. Uh, it's got the famous uh, scene. What was the guy's name from uh, Wasp? Um, the guitar player? Uh, Chris Holmes. Chris Holmes sitting in the pool, supposedly just po- dumping vodka all over himself and with his mother there. Uh, and then have you, you ha- heard, have you heard that since been said reported that was fake? Yeah. That's why I was saying supposedly. Um, yeah, I've heard that, that it was just water. And, uh, of course, you know, you've got all these bands that we never heard of, uh, on there with like crazy hairstyles, but, uh, it's something kind of a cult favorite, I would say. Ozzy cooking eggs. Yeah. And he's just, yeah, I mean, <laughs> That's what the name of the movie should have been. Ozzy <laughs> cooking eggs. Ozzy cooking eggs. But because um, it is, it is, it is the most absurd thing. And I actually saw that they that got. I think the woman who who did that talking about how that was his idea. That's what he wanted to do. He wanted to be filmed cooking eggs. Wow. <laughs> wow. But anyway, I'm I'm sure if you're listening to this, you're probably aware of that. If not, go Google it. It's it's. It's worth it's it's worth the ch- your time. Yeah, I agree. Um, I told you I got two more. Uh, I probably have a longer list because I usually do on all these. So I'm gonna knock out two of these just in a row, just since we have the of the ones that are the actual m- movies about somebody. Um, I uh, for one of the bigger Hollywood ones that was done, and one of the seems like they, they, a lot of them started following after this, but I thought the Johnny Cash one, Walk the Line, what really was good. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I really did think that was a good movie. And honestly, now that I'm thinking about it, another one, I just had another one that came up too. Another kind of forgotten one is, is uh, Great Balls of Fire. That was a good one too. A film not far from where you are. Yeah, but, um, but Walk the Line I thought was really, really good. And then the other one that... I've always said for me, I, I don't know why, don't don't laugh, and, and even if you do laugh, I don't care. But my favorite of these movies has always been La Bamba. I <laughs> you, love that movie. It had me locked up. I love that movie, and I mean everything about it. I love I love Bob. Um, Bob always just he, Bob was the not supposed to be funny character that still makes me crack up when I watch him. <laughs> That was, that is a great movie. I watched that a ton when I when it came out. I remember like going and renting that on VHS. Yeah, it, it and Bob. I mean, how great is Bob? Like when Richie's in the phone booth singing O'Donnell, and Bob comes up, <laughs> yoo-hoo, bangs on the phone booth, or falling drunk into it. And then the great Bob that. line. It was that. It was that same night. He he's making fun of him. He starts mocking him, and he puts him on his bike, and he says, "I'm going to get you." What do you say? Uh, screwed, blued, and tattooed. <laughs> oh man! No, he says that the next day. He's like, you got screwed, blued, and tattooed. <laughs> oh, he was great, man. He was great. Uh, I love. By the way, I love Walking Line. Uh, I would have put that on the list. But I knew you were going to do it. Um, I think that is probably it. Just is almost the gold standard to go by. Um, uh, what's his name? Um, River, Joaquin, not, Phoenix. Joaquin Phoenix and Reese Witherspoon. They did their own parts, um, sang it, sang those parts. And you go back and watch 
videos of Johnny and and uh, June singing together, and I mean they just nailed it. No, no other way to yeah. put it. Nailed it. Um, and just has some great scenes, and it always cracks me up. Um, like I've I've heard people my grandparents' age. Well, I just wish we would get back to good wholesome music, you know, like Johnny Cash. And I'm like, Johnny Cash was fried out of his head more than... He was a rock star before there were really yeah. big rock stars. I mean, he had a couple of years there that I'm pretty sure could have fit in the dirt, you know? And yeah. anyway, I just I've always thought that's funny. I wish we had good wholesome music like Johnny Cash. Oh, yeah. So you mean he when he just shot somebody so you could watch him die? You know? <laughs> <laughs> um, all right. So one of the great things about documentaries is they always get me sucked in, even if it's somebody that I'm not necessarily a big fan of or a subject that I'm necessarily that, that knowledgeable of. And one of the ones that has done it the most to me, it came out, I guess, about five or six years ago. It's about the band Rush, and it's called Beyond the Lighted Stage. It is fascinating. Rush, I'm not, not to make fun of people that listen to Rush. I, I, I get it. You really like them, and that's cool. I can't handle Geddy Lee's voice more than about two songs in a row, and I have to change it. And so my knowledge of them is really their hits, but I have great respect for them. They're tremendous players. But this is a fascinating look into the life of that band, and you forget how big they are. And they, you know, stay out of trouble. There's never any scandal or anything. And then all the problems that Neil Peart went to through with his wife and his daughter dying and you know you, it shows you just kind of how he's such a perfectionist and like what a toll on his body playing the drums the way he does um uh you know takes on him but the to me the overriding thing is they're just good people and they care about one another and they kind of protect one another and uh i actually because of I remember because of that documentary i actually went out and bought a couple of rush albums so, um, hey, they made some money off of it, but I've watched it five or six times, and for whatever reason, I just get drawn into it every time. Yeah, I, I did watch it. I watched it one time, and I, I remember I remember enjoying it, but I think probably the reason I never really watched it again was because, like you, I'm not, I, I'm not a Rush hater at all, but it's just, they, I think the, well, I think it's a couple things. I mean, the obvious is it's Getty's voice, but. In addition, I'm, I've never really been huge on prog rock. Um, but no, it is it is definitely a. Uh, if you want to see a good documentary, music doc, it is it is worth your time. Uh, I will I will say that, and that's coming from somebody who's not a big fan. Yeah, it's very well done. Well, I'm going to stick with by you saying that somebody that you're not into. Um, obviously, you named a. It really, really big band, but I'm going to go with one that got very big critical acclaim, and that's um, Anvil, the story of Anvil. That is a sad documentary and a very heartwarming documentary. I mean, I, I first of all, have you seen this? Uh-huh. It, it is... Real, real, real quick story. I don't know if I ever told you this, but um, Kaden and I saw that in um, at the Ridgeway Four in Memphis, and they did this one screening. And after the movie, in the very front, 
Anvil played about a 30-minute set. And so that was an interesting way to watch a movie, like live in person. They How many right people were there? Packed house. Okay. And um, and it was uh, the movie. I just really enjoyed it because um, one of it did one of the better jobs of any documentary I've seen of getting into the human side of people and showing the struggles. And you talk about the, the closeness of of um of Rush, those two guys. I can only think of one of his names that goes by Lips. I can't, I can't remember the other. But, That's the only one I can remember. But the bond that that singer guitarist and the drummer have with each other. I mean, they are literally like brothers. And it shows them basically fighting together, crying together, families together. Um, it's just a true story of the struggles that they had and never giving up on the dream, always working and and it's got to be really frustrating to know that you, I mean, you know it just because what other artists have said that you influence so many bands like you know, Guns N' Roses, Metallica that are just selling out arenas, and you can't sell out a living room, right? And, and um, well, I think on that documentary, but, I can't remember if it was like Slash or Lars. It may, probably it's maybe even Lars. One of them said it like we thought they were going to be one of the biggest bands in the world. Yeah, and so they probably did too because they probably heard that. And the story does have a happy ending, you know, because if you haven't watched this movie, it, it's a um, a guy who I don't remember exactly how he hooked up with them, but he was he was a, I think a teenager at the time, and he hooked up with them on tour. He was a massive fan, and years later. He reconnected with him and wanted to make this documentary on him. And to say that that they owe that that guy a lot is an understatement. Right. It wasn't long. It wasn't a long. It wasn't long after that they were opening for ACDC. And um, and they've had. I mean, since that movie, they've had probably the five years that came after that movie. They grossed probably three times if not more than they did their entire career all together after decades of playing. So, uh, like I said, happy ending. It's just a, I don't know. It's, it's a really, it's a really well done documentary. And it, I thought it was such a different approach because it's funny. It's sad. It's heartwarming. The way that they did that for a band that nobody really knew about and people still had an interest. I thought that was really cool. Really shows the ugly side of the business. Yeah, it does. Um, I, I agree. Yeah, that's another one like Rush, a band I'm not necessarily a fan of that I found to be fascinating. All right, my next one is uh, it's the it's the rock documentary that I judge all others by, and it's called Running Down a Dream, and it's about Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers. This thing I think is like four hours long, and if you're not careful, you wind up watching it four hours all in one sitting, and you'll get sucked in and not realize you sat there for four hours. It is as in-depth of a way of covering a 40-something-year career, I think, as you can have. The interviews with Stevie Nicks, Jimmy Iovine, everybody that was associated with them, going into like how the Traveling Wilburys happened, all the behind-the-scenes footage of Traveling Wilburys. The only thing Tom Petty cut out of, had cut out of it was when he talked about his heroin habit. And he didn't want that in there. Uh, other than that, um, just a 
great look at one of the most universally loved figures of American music um, and to this day. And, you know, they just released another like greatest hits album with some unreleased stuff, which I've listened to and it sounds really good. But uh, this is kind of the one when I judge a documentary on a band, this is kind of the one I go, well, how does it compare to running down a dream? Yeah, I, I, I really, really like that, too. And that was on my list. And, and I, I did watch it over probably two or three nights because I saw how long it was. Because it it's one of those, it's not like if you have it on, I had it on my DVR. And it's not, you know, it's four hours with commercials. No, it's four hours. Right. And so it, it's really, really long. So I think I did watch it over three nights. But that wasn't because I wasn't couldn't keep interest. It just... It's long, and I just felt I just wanted to break it up. But yeah, that that is as detailed of a documentary as you'll ever get. And you would, I mean, four hours absolutely sounds way too long. But once you watch it, you realize it's it's necessary. And the other thing is, and I, and I, I like Tom Petty a lot. I'm not a massive fan, but if it's a band you like, really, if you think about it, four hours is. Plenty. I mean, I was just talking about watching a, a movie version of Motley Crue. They could have done that into, you know, like a little miniseries. Right. I would have been, I would have been into it, you know, big time. But yeah, I, I, I do, I do really, I did really enjoy that one. Which it, I always thought it was just kind of interesting, like how Stevie Nicks wanted to leave Fleetwood Mac to be a heartbreaker. You know, yeah. one of the biggest bands in the world, and you know, he talked her out of it and how like Jimmy Iovine introduced him and was integral and, you know, them writing songs for one another and just, um, I don't know. I just, I, I just loved it. And he, you see, you know, the, it really like, it's just ups and downs, ups and downs, you know, it's how his house burning down and how Epstein ODing and just, uh, um, just a great documentary. I, I, I think if you like music, I think you'll, you, you'll, everybody out there would at least, you know, enjoy it. So what do you have next, Chris? I'm going to go with last days here. Uh, this was another one kind of like, um, kind of in a way like Anvil about a band that nobody really heard of. And, um, have you seen this one by the way? Uh-uh. Okay. Last days here. You've heard of the band Pentagram, right? Oh, I have seen this. I have seen this. Yeah. Okay. So last days here is about a, the, pentagram frontman bobby liebling and they were if you're unfamiliar with them which you probably if you haven't seen this movie you probably are unfamiliar they were the american version of black sabbath they were doom metal and bobby liebling has always had such a substance abuse problem and that that's just a big understatement and he um in this documentary at least at the beginning of the documentary, he is, I mean, he's scraping his arms like crazy because he says he's got parasites. He's you just know, covered in scabs. Band, yeah, this band goes back to the 70s. And this this documentary was done probably, I don't know, 2000, it was, I think it was 2011 when this documentary was done. And he's basically been on and off major drug addict all those years. And he, he lives... I think in the basement with his parents, his dad, I remember if you don't, I don't remember exactly what he did, David, but his dad was, he was in DC. He was a player in DC. Um, 
I mean, a really successful guy, and he was in politics, I believe. Somehow, I mean, I don't know if he was a lobbyist or something like that, but I mean, he wasn't like a congressman or senator or whatever. But he was he was a, a player in D.C. and um, just had this son that they were. You could tell they were really, really big enablers for their son just because they loved him so much, and he couldn't kick it and. What's really crazy is I remember, and it's been so long since I've seen this, but I still remember they were, if I'm not mistaken, they were going to get signed by Kiss to go into Casablanca Records, and Bobby Liebling just in his just he was just you couldn't work with him, and he was so demanding, and he it was the drugs taking control, and they just I shouldn't say they he pissed that all away. And people really thought they had a chance to do something. And it was his drugs that completely got him. And so this is another one of those ones about a band that could have been. But instead of a band like Anvil, who just kept fighting and fighting and fighting to make it, this is a band, or Bobby Liebling anyway, of, of, you know, of Pentagram. It's all about to not get drug addiction. Is this the one where they he goes and meets with Phil Anselmo? I don't remember that. Prob- I, probably. I think so. I think, yeah, I think he is a big fan. I don't even remember. It's been a while since I've seen this, but I remember I loved it. So it's funny that you bring this up because I meant to actually text you this the other night. What is the band? I can't remember their name. They're, they sound really good. They're from Memphis. They opened for Tora Tora. I don't remember their name. Is it Dirty Streets? Yes, yeah. They're touring with Pentagram right now. Really? Yeah, and they uh, they just played uh, Little Rock. Um, I follow them either on Twitter or Instagram or something, and they were like, we're fi- I think I guess it's over, and they were saying how much fun they had, and it's a picture of them with in, with that guy, and I meant to text that to you. I don't know how that guy's still alive and touring. I really don't. I mean, he's I guess in, he has. He's in bad shape in that movie. I get well, and at the end he got clean, but I know he's fallen off the wagon since because I remember hearing about it. But he's probably one of those guys that has been clean so many times for a short period. It's ridiculous. It, it's just he's one of those ones that I don't. I mean, I, I hope he can, but he probably never can be clean for life. Right. He'll just he'll he'll get clean for a while and then go right back to it. All right, so my next two, I'm going to lump them together because they're about the same band. It's uh, Some Kind of Monster, Metallica, and also A Year and a Half in the Life Of. A Year and a Half in the Life Of is about the recording of the Black Album and the subsequent tour that happened after that with uh, uh, with that album. And it's really cool because they're going to the studio with Bob Rock. They, don't, they, you know, they picked him to do the album, but they don't know him. They... Um, talk about how they like what he did with Motley Crue's Dr. Feelgood, even though they don't like Motley Crue. And of course you have the scene where they're throwing darts at Kip Winger and everything. And you see like how much trouble Kurt Hammett had coming up with the solo to Unforgiven. And then some kind of monster is like 11 or 12 years later. And just accidentally they're doing this documentary on Metallica recording a new album and catch them basically falling apart. Um, Jason Newstead leaves Hetfield goes into rehab for months, um, you know, and they they come back and just there's all this underlying tension and them auditioning 
uh, Rob Trujillo. Um, it's just really interesting because I'm really kind of nerdy. Like I like to, to see stuff about like when people were in the studio, what they did and how they did it and stuff like that. And this is just a, it's a, a glimpse into that, that we, you don't get very often on top of that is really cool to see Trujillo, um, audition for the band. You saw these other really famous people audition for the band as well. And, you know, they tell him, we're going to, we want you to be a real part of this band. We're going to start you off with a million dollars you know and he just you know gets tears in his eyes and you just see like how genuine of a person he is and it really it makes you realize it makes you have a lot of sympathy for Kirk Hammett because like at one point he's just like come on guys like he's just a nice guy over in the corner and you have these two huge personalities in Hetfield and, and Lars they just want to kill each other for the majority of the movie yeah I, I like that one a lot I've never seen the other one you're talking about most accordion black album. It's never, it's it. never, really, heard, never heard of it. Yeah, it's really good. You gotta, uh, you, I think you would find it fascinating. Yeah, never even heard of it. Um, yeah, I'll have to look into that one. But I do like some kind of monster. Um, I, I'm going to go with two that I can lump together as well. Because, like you, same band. And these are uh, two on Iron Maiden. First one being Flight 666, which is... Um, documentary and a uh, concert film and just just a concert film itself i know that's not what we're talking about but still the concert film the way that they do they have 16 16 songs each one of them in a different city and between each one you see you know that the iron maiden plane with bruce dickinson flying and uh the documentary is great the concert's great I, I just love that uh it's so beautifully shot too and then the other is Iron Maiden in the early years. And this is, it does have some concerts, a couple of concerts with, um, you have an early, really early Bruce Dickinson show, and you have some Paul Deano shows. And it's um, it's just a history of the band, really. And a lot of it is uh, the guys sitting in a pub talking. And it's just, if, if you have any interest in Iron Maiden, you've probably already seen this. But, um, I don't know how much it's going to really grab somebody that's not into Iron Maiden because you don't have like the Bobby Liebling heroin addiction, the you know the person, you know, just the, the perseverance and always trying to get going that you have in Anvil. Um, you don't really have those, but still, I I really enjoy both of those documentaries. They never really have had substance issues, have they? I think Nico didn't he I know he used to be a heavy drinker but other than that it's not really it's not documented if they if they are I've never I mean I shouldn't say it's not documented but I've never heard of it no I never have all right so I'm gonna lump two together uh Wilco I am trying to break your heart and ashes of American flags first one I am trying to break your heart uh another thing where the filming crew just got lucky Wilco is recording uh, Yankee Hotel Foxtrot turned into the record company. The record company doesn't like it. Um, they become kind of a uh, independent band. Uh, Jay Bennett winds up getting uh, fired, leaving the band. And then uh, they go back. I guess it's Warner Brothers. Warner Brothers gives lets them out of their contract, gives them the masters back to the album. And in a roundabout way, they wind up signing with a subsidiary uh, or something of Warner Brothers. And so 
Warner Brothers pays them to go away, gives them their masters, and then comes back, and I think they get signed for even more money. And, of course, they released that album for free on the Internet well before it ever came out. And then Ashes of American Flags is a half, it's half, it's concert interspersed with a documentary about them traveling around the country. Um, I think it was on the Sky Blue Sky Tour. And it's really fascinating because Wilco's had a lot of lineup changes. And Tweety goes through everybody that's in the band now. And he talks about Pat Sansone. And he's like, you know, for all the rest of us up here, playing music is hard. And he goes, it's just easy for Pat, which I thought was a pretty cool compliment. And then he talks about how this band has absorbed uh, a lot of changes, but it could not absorb John leaving. And he said, I think that's the one that, that we couldn't absorb, but uh, shows them, I think in like uh, Oklahoma and Mobile. And it's just really kind of a, a cool thing. And it, it doesn't just necessarily focus on Jeff Tweedy. It focuses on uh, the other band. But if you're going to watch one of those two, I'm trying to break your heart, which is a line from a song on the Yankee hotel. Foxtrot is the one I would recommend. It's just kind of the inner workings of what's going on with that band at that time. And then they get caught in this like weird situation where they're out of their record contract and they wind up actually making more money and having the masters and stuff than than they did from the record company that didn't want it isn't i'm trying to break your heart wasn't all shot in black and white too yep yeah I've, I've seen that one and i do enjoy that the other one i haven't seen but yeah i'm trying to break your heart is great and you know uh jay bennett god bless him i mean he that was the worst move I mean, other than hitting on Jay Farrar's wife, that was the worst move that Jeff Tweedy ever did. You know, yeah. get rid of him. Yeah. I mean, that was that was just the band's never been the same since he left. And well, he provided a looseness that I don't think they have right now. Yeah, and I think you know if you watch that documentary, and it's been so long since I've seen it, so you can probably tell me if I'm wrong or I'm right, but. Part of the reason, it's not just that he made the band, that he did something that the other guys aren't capable of. He basically, in a way, almost bullied Jeff Tweedy into doing whatever he wanted to do. And Jeff Tweedy, is, it looks like it's probably already, since that time, has already found guys, has only worked with guys that wouldn't do that to him. That's just kind of my perception that Jay Bennett kind of was, I'm not going to say he called the shots, but... It's almost like Jeff Tweedy couldn't overpower him. Well, it seemed like if he if Jeff pushed back at all, Jay took it so personally. Um, yeah, and I mean, you know, there's that scene where Jeff goes and throws up in the toilet because he's got the migraine. And have you haven't yeah. read you haven't read Tweedy's book yet, have you? No, I'm gonna get it, but and I'm gonna get to it. But I, I just that was just my that's just my impression that it feels like that's probably why he got rid of Jay Bennett because he was kind of um, not as easy to just, you know, push over and do whatever he wanted to, which sounds like Jay Bennett knew what he was doing because like I said, well, and I, and, never I th- been the same. and I think Jay was probably not that confident in the direction they were going. Yeah, well, he should have been because the direction he went after Jay Bennett was very far south. Yeah, um, definitely. It's not the, it's not those first three records. No, no, no. I mean, they well, first the first three, the first four, the first four are great. 
and then it just goes really down. So you're a big fan that. of that, you're a big fan of Foxtrot. I like it. Yeah, I do. I like about half the like songs it. on it. I, I think like I think it. I'm trying to break your heart. Maybe their best song. I mean, I think it has a lot of songs on it. War on War, Jesus, etc. Heavy metal drummer. I think it has a lot of really good songs on it. I, I think it's one. I think it's one that everybody. Yeah, oh, Camera's great. But I think a lot of people want to elevate that one because they think it's cool to say they like it, and so that mm-hmm. makes people like us want to say we don't like it. Right. But but it actually is really good. Cool. I mean, forget what the forget what the people say about like the people that annoy you saying it's great. Just kind of like the killers. You don't want to like the killers because you think it's uncool, but the killers are really good. Um, all right. So next up, let me go with, um, you know, here's a fun one. I'm going to go with Sam Dunn's, uh, I think it's 11 part series, metal evolution. Oh, it's so good. That, um, yeah, that is, that is great. If you're, if you're a metal fan, if you haven't, and you haven't watched this, don't know where you've been, but, um, if you have been under a rock, climb out from under it. He almost takes an academic approach to it. He does, yes. He, so if you are a metal fan, and even if you're not a metal fan, you're just a rock fan, music fan, whatever. Um, you know, like I'm, I would probably watch a really, if somebody told me it was an outstanding jazz documentary, like extraordinarily put together, I'd probably watch it. So if metal may not necessarily be your cup of tea, you still may really enjoy this. I mean, he covers like every single subgenre of metal. You can imagine. And, yeah, and he really tries to understand each. A, a perfect example, he debates like really whether grunge is metal, and tries to find out like really like almost like you said, almost like doing scientific research on is it metal or is it not, and mm-hmm. um, it, it, it's just really cool. I mean, it covers everything from there's an episode on the glam rock. There's there's on um, they do an episode on on power metal on um, prog metal, on death metal, on thrash, on grunge. I mean, it's all-encompassing. And and I, the first one was on, you know, really the first one, he's even touching on, like, old, like, 50s-type music as far mm-hmm. as, and, and even going further than that, like Beethoven, or not, like Bach and all that, that had those dark sounds. Mm-hmm. Um, the Devil's it, Chord or whatever they call it? Yes, it, it is a masterful documentary. Now I'm making myself want to watch that again. You know, I was just thinking um, um, the same thing. And so that's one, if you get into those, you may wind up losing your day. Yeah, they are. They are. They are. They're addicting. They're absolutely addicting. And I mean, each one is so good. I mean, you're going to love the ones that are more what you're into the most. But that being said, I like, well, I do like thrash metal, but I remember the thrash one was really good, like really, really good. But um, they're they're all very enjoyable, and I like I said, I think it's eleven parts, and so I can tell you just how many he covers, and he's not covering every single one, you know, because he does this whole little. I mean, he does this whole looks like a family tree of heavy metal showing the, the different genres and what bands fall out of it. Um, yeah, it's it's so good. Yeah, I, I highly recommend that. And that got a lot of press um, when it came out. Um, 
I'll tell you one that was the biggest surprise for me. It's a, uh, it's called a uh, back and forth. It's about the Foo Fighters, and I'm just, I don't know if you could even say a casual Foo Fighters fan, but this movie gives you so much respect for Dave Grohl. It follows him from you know after the breakup of Nirvana and how he basically recorded an album more or less by himself. I think um, Greg Dooley from the Afghan Wigs was on the first one, and he just kind of recorded it for himself and. I don't think he ever had any intention of releasing it. And, you know, he winds up releasing it. And it's a huge hit. And it just it goes to like how he never thought this band was really going to be that big. And, you know, they had a few lineup changes. And I think they've been settled for a while. And um, it really goes to show you how hard he's worked at making the Foo Fighters what they are. And, um, and it also shows, and we all know this, he's just a music fan. Um, just like we are when he gets around, you know, Lemmy and, you know, ACDC and all these other people, he's just like you and I would be, he just geeks out. And that's one thing I've always respected about him is he, he is a music fan. I don't necessarily like all of his music, but he's a huge music fan. He's not scared to show it. And he's, you know, they do a ton of covers in concert. He's not scared to, he'll go play with anybody, but, um, this really is, it's really very, it's very interesting to see all the hard work that he put into this band and it may it give it gives you a gives me a whole lot more respect for him i think i have seen that uh when he first brought that up like i don't know what that is but then as you're starting to talk about it i think i have seen it because i remember him talking about through the documentary where he you know got the because you know of course he was in seattle because greg dooley played uh dooley was up there but he got the uh the rhythm section of um <laughs> Sunny Day Real Estate. Sunny Day Real Estate. Yeah, and, and the, the Sunny Day. Yeah, because it goes in, doesn't it go into the uh, the Sunny Day basis quitting to go do um, a Sunny Day reunion? Right, yeah. And then coming back? Yeah. yeah. Okay, so, yeah, so I have seen that. Yeah. Um, yeah that was good. Yeah, it's, it's another, it's kind of like the Rush one, a band that I'm marginally a fan of at best, and the documentary just sucks you in. Agree, and you know, as as we're talking about this, this is one that didn't even occur to me, and this is one too that I like the band, but I'm not a massive fan. But I, I didn't even have this on my list, but now I'm just thinking I, I'd, I'd be a fool if I didn't bring it up. But the uh, and it may be on your list, and I may be jumping the gun. But Pearl Jam 20, completely forgot about it. Yeah, that's outstanding. Mm-hmm. That's, that's a that's a long documentary, and it's uh, it covers the Mother Love Bone stuff and. Yeah, that's a really, really good one that I, that we were both going to forget had you not brought that up. The Foo and Fighters one. The 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 thing that impressed me the most about that um, uh, Pearl Jam one was the respect and like really love that Eddie Vedder had for Chris Cornell. Um, yeah, and, and obviously for Andrew, you know, that all stems kind of from Andrew Wood as well. But uh, that's what really grabbed me about that and. Uh, yeah, I, I like Pearl Jam. I, I'm not like one of these people that thinks everything they put out is good, but, um, you know, you don't hear a whole lot about McCrady or Stone or, or Jeff Amon or, uh, Matt Cameron, who was basically the drummer in every grunge band there was, uh, at least that got famous other than Alice Chains at one point. Um, I, I, I really enjoyed that one. I, yeah, I'm surprised that we both forgot about that one. Yeah, it is good, and and I like um, you talking about his 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 love and his admiration for you know that being better, but his love and admiration for Cornell and then um, and Andrew Wood. I like the way that with Andrew Wood, 
I remember the, they showed the very first time he decided to it, he, it was time to go ahead and play a Mother Love Bone song, and they did Chloe Dancer, and I was like, man, I, that's cool because it wasn't until the 2000s where they ever even did that. Think about how long they'd been a band, right? Uh, by the way, they, have, they they do that a lot. Have you seen Miley Cyrus doing "Say Hello to Heaven" at the Cornell Benefit? Yeah, I have. Man, that was amazing. Yeah, it, it was good. I wish it was better footage, but yeah, it was good. Her All vocals right. were really good. So, what's next for you, Chris? I've got a few more. I'm gonna go with um, I'm gonna go with another one that fits. I, I don't know why I'm just fascinated by the ones like Anvil and the one on Pentagram. But you're one, a sucker for an underdog, Chris. Yeah, well, this one, this is another one that if you haven't seen, you're you're gonna, I'll say, because you've already, you already, I know you already said you were gonna do um, um, the the Crazy Heart, and I know one of the documentaries I named Love and Mercy. Check it out. Yeah, oh yeah, you want to, so a documentary that you might want to check out, and you, I say that you may have seen it, but have you seen a band called Death? Mm-mm. You might want to check that one out. So. A band called Death is really unique. I mean, first of all, there they were there was a band called Death before Death because you know there ended up being a a, a death metal band called Death. Aptly named, but yeah, but in the seventies there was a band and we just called it a band called Death, and it's um the band they were from Detroit, and I think they were in the it was in the I want to say it was in the seven. It was in the seventies, and they were three brothers, and grew up a, a minister father and living in Detroit around pro, around Motown and all that. Oh, and they're black, and so everybody I guess expected them to be doing Motown. Uh, they're in the city of Motown, and they uh, and I think they did do music early on, kind of influenced by that sound. But then they started listening to more like Alice Cooper and The Who and all this stuff and started to go more in that route. And they formed more of a, it's actually really, it's pretty punk. I mean, it's kind of, a, it's it, and it, the music's really good, actually, that's in this movie. It's good that they did. But there's a trio of three brothers. And, um, and I don't know how that ended up coming about, why they made that documentary. But... They always felt like um, they they always felt like the reason they couldn't make it was because one of the brothers he wanted to, because of the name the, the band name Death and they were encouraged by I think it was by brothers and other music people that they had to change the name because I mean again this is the seventies and this one brother absolutely refused to change it and. Um, it's one of those things that I, I don't remember how I heard about this, but I know that people are, have talked about just how great the music was that they did, and it was really ahead of its time. And you have three black dudes from Detroit playing basically early, early intro, you know, beginnings of punk rock music. That that one that one really piques my curiosity. Yeah, it's it's good. All right, Chris, I have one left. And okay. that's the movie slash documentary of movie slash documentaries on rock music. And that's got to be Woodstock. And I know there's a million versions of this, but watching the chaos going on in front of the stage, watching the chaos 
behind the stage, watching the chaos that happened afterwards. And I mean, I think you can, I think it's probably 12 hours of footage you can dig up on all of this. Uh, just, uh, one of the craziest weekends in the history of music and, um, uh, really neat to see how all that played out behind the scenes and, uh, get to see a lot of people that really got big kind of because of it, like Joe Cocker and, you know, the who weren't exactly as nearly as big of a band as they became. And, um, anyway, uh, I've always find, found that fascinating. I remember watching that when I was young with my dad, uh, minus all the naked people running around. But, uh, anyway, th- that's one that uh, I feel like everybody has at least seen clips of. Well, there's where I fall in. I, I was just about to say, I've never seen the whole thing. It just never, I never had an interest in it. I, a lot of the music that they showed, I just didn't like. And one thing we all seem to see more than anything is, uh, is it Richie Havens? Mm-hmm. You always see that. And even that, I'm like, it's just not that good. Well, it's, it's um, the, the stuff, the musical performances is not what does it for me. It's the, okay. It's the, man, it's just total. I mean, they have no idea what to do, you know? behind the stage they have no they had no plan for that many people and you see the people just abandoning their cars on the interstate uh you know and there's just no food no water and just how i don't know it just got out of hand quick that's what's fascinating to me and just people okay wandering around stoned out of their heads you know they're naked bathing in a river and then you know you know there's the famous thing don't take the brown acid i mean <laughs> you know yeah the, the musical performances uh-uh uh, you can fast forward through all those. It's the people watching, man. All right, then I didn't know that. Well, I've got three left. I'm gonna knock these out. Well, the first two I'm gonna knock out pretty quick. I think the last one we might we might both want to talk about for a minute. But um, first one I'm gonna go through is uh the one that came out on HBO a few years ago, Kurt Cobain montage of heck. I uh, I know some people have called some of the stuff in that BS. I, I don't know what's fact. I don't know what's fiction. But I know that Buzz Osborne and the Melvins, who knew Kurt very well, had a lot. To, uh, he was interviewed a lot for it. All right, all right before, um, before we go further, which one is this? Because there's two of them that came out, and I watched both of them. Is this the one that's kind of like a cartoon? or got cartoon one? characters. Okay, this is the one where I thought somebody put something in my drink. It's got cartoon yeah. characters all through it. Yeah, uh-huh. Yeah, it's very, you know, acid trip-like. Yeah, okay, go ahead. It. Um yeah, I almost spent a lot of time on it. I just thought it was it was it was fascinating because Kurt Cobain is one of those that you know when when they were when they were popular when we were in high school, I listened to them. I, I would buy the music, but I thought it was good. But I wasn't like blown away. They certainly weren't my favorites. And it's weird now. Now, all these years later, forty-one years old. And I appreciate Nirvana more than I ever have. Um, I, I hear their music, and when a song of theirs comes on, if I'm listening to Lithium or whatever, I find myself never changing the channel. And I think my love for them is just kind of... I, I literally have found... Before, I was like, yeah, they're, they're all right. I literally think I've found myself to be really, really liking Nirvana. And so it was, it was just kind of fascinating about Kurt Cobain and... Of course, sad too, you know, because it goes into all the heroin addiction and, you know, and and with his baby and all that, and then of course just the suicide and it's it's obviously kind of a dark film, 
but um, if you like if you like Nirvana, if you're intrigued by that, I would check it out. Like I said, some people have disputed. There may be some flaws in it. I, I don't know. I don't know what's right, what's wrong. But um, as you would expect from somebody who had a major drug problem, ended up committing suicide. I'm not trying to judge, but you can. T- I mean, you would probably suspect that there was some turmoil at home and that's in the film mm-hmm. so I, that's the first one I was going to list and I, the next one um, no need to really dwell on this one but HBO also did a few years back um, actually I just realized I left another one out too that I really thought it was recently The Promise first of all The Making of Darkness on the, te- on the Edge of Town by Bruce Springsteen I really enjoy that one. That, to me, probably is my favorite record by him. And it's funny because uh, Gary W. Talent, the bassist in it, when he's being interviewed, he says at one point, like when he picked his final cut of the songs for that album, it was like almost nothing. I don't, I, I, I don't remember exactly what he says, but he, it's paraphrasing almost kind of like I. He didn't. He's not even close to what I would have picked. Um, and then around the time when that that documentary is released, they released The Promise, a double disc of the songs that did not make the album. And they are so good. I mean, it was just the, the music that was flowing out of him at that time. And I can, I understand why Gary W. Talent said that. I think uh, Van Zant has said that, I think he said like the stuff on The Promise is his favorite stuff that they've done. It was on those. And so, the music was obviously flowing, and it just shows you just, I mean, two band members talking about how incredible the material that was left out was. And there's one scene in that movie, it's, it's all black and white, and there's one scene that always just, um, I've always loved where it's got it's got uh, Bruce and Van Zant sitting at a piano playing, and they're playing Sherry Darling, which is actually on the river. And they're just, they're playing that song, and they just look like they're having the time of their lives just laughing and singing along, uh, just sitting on a, on a piano bench together. I, I love that scene. Um, but uh, what just kind of hit me as I'm doing this, one I'm leaving out too, because I just recently watched this and I told you about it, but I, I thought The Godfathers of Hardcore about the agnostic front was really good. And I know I told you about that and you watched that too. And I watched, so I don't it, know what I watched it last week when I was laid up. and uh, It's good, right? Man. Even if you don't like their music, it's good. It's another one where it's kind of like, um, kind of almost like Rush. Like you just find yourself getting drawn into it because it's so well done, and then it's such a kind of interesting story. Even though I, I would never buy one of their albums or into them, uh, it was it was it was really fascinating to watch. And they're like brothers too. Well, yeah, yeah and yeah. I mean, you kind of, you know, one of them says like, you know, I just want to keep doing this because if I don't, you know, the other guy, it's it's gonna, you know, basically it's gonna break his heart. Yeah, so it's uh, it's two guys. I mean, Agnostic Front. It's there's two guys, two originals that are still in the that still do it, and they're the ones that matter. And one of them is uh, this. He's Cuban, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so Roger Merritt is, is Cuban. He's Cuban, and you know, they grew up in New York City. And uh, Roger Merritt now lives in Arizona, and seems to have a really normal family life and um but he keeps the band going and he's he's a decent amount younger than uh than stigma the guitarist who is i think above 60 now 
And, um, but that guy, that stigma is, it's, it's his whole life is agnostic front. And you said it, it's like, if you want a definition of what you think of somebody that lived and grew up in New York city is it's him. I mean, this guy is living in this. He's lived in the same building in Manhattan his entire life. And that still fascinates fascinates me about how he's been able to do that. When you think about the way that people have been forced out of their buildings because of gentrification and all that, how has he been able to afford it? But he somehow he's managed and he stayed in the same building his entire life. And it's one of those ones too that's just a uh, it's a true brotherhood between those guys. And uh, anytime you have that in one of these documentaries, you're going to hook me in. You know, the, the, seeing the fighting and all that, yeah, that'll kind of get you. But what gets me more is when there's that true brotherhood where you can tell, like the Anvil one, where you can tell they really love each other. Right. And and that's what this one is. It's, it's another one that's just kind of a heartwarming thing. So I, I like that one a lot. And then the final one, and this is where I know you can contribute a little bit more, and I was kind of surprised I didn't see it on your list, but um, You Two Rattle and Hum, which is maybe my favorite music documentary. Honestly, I... It just you know when you go to put these things to paper, it's hard to skip over something. Um, yeah, I agree with that. Um, I've always enjoyed the scene. With Did you forget it? Completely forgot it. Yeah. Okay. And, and I I love the scene in it with uh BB King, and he's like, "You're gonna play the chords, right? I don't know. How, I don't play chords. I just play the notes." <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, here's a guy that's like, you know, considered one of the most influential blues guitarist if not guitarist of all time and he's like who's gonna play the chords you gonna play the chords i don't play chords yeah and he can't sing and play at the same time yeah, yeah i mean he's just all, his, his guitar playing is literally when he's not singing just soloing That's right it. but the the documentary itself just um you know there's a few parts that really get me and the ones that i go through and i love the fact that this is shot in black and white but um, the ones that, that really get me are, um, ah, geez, now I'm drawing a blank when they're in the church. What song are they doing? Um, uh, still haven't found what I'm yeah. looking for. And they're doing that in a church in Harlem. And man, if, if they don't look like they're having the absolute times of their lives in there, just in love it, truly loving playing music with an all black, you know, choir in a Harlem church. It's a really cool point. I, um, I love the part where they're, uh, on the bluffs in Memphis and they're sliding down. They're looking at the river and the bridge. And I just think, I don't know. I just think that's a really cool shot. I, um, I, I love when they're the live performance where they're playing, um, they're playing bad. And, uh, it goes into where he does the, the Rolling Stones. You know, he does a, Ruby Tuesday and then the sympathy for the devil just shouts out, please, you know, pleased to meet you. I, I, I love, I love that. Um, and then my favorite in the whole thing, Larry Mullen Jr. and his love of Elvis Presley. That is like, that's us. I mean, he's, well, it's a love letter to America. Yeah. I mean, he's, he's a, um, He's a, even at that time they're they're a really big band because uh, Joshua know, Tree of, on the hills of the Joshua Tree, yeah, and so they're a big big band, and he's just like us, 
Larry Mullen Jr. He just happened to have success in a band, and he is um, just when he's at Graceland, he's like a little kid. And I remember him sitting at the table talking about. He's like, you know, I, I, I didn't. It wasn't just Elvis, the the music and all. He's like, I, he said, I loved his movies. I mean, everything about him. He just wanted to be Elvis. And the my favorite is when it, they're um, they're at Graceland, and he and Larry Mullen Jr. loves. You know, loves motorcycles and Elvis, and he wants to sit on that bike, and they won't, he's not allowed to, obviously. And Bono goes up, and he puts that arm, his arm around that girl working there, and he said what Harley Davidson means to this man. And he's just sweet-talking her, and she just starts getting all giddy and blushy, and she lets him sit on the bike. I forgot about that scene. Yeah, so much of it takes place in Memphis. Yeah, a ton of it. Uh, it also has two of my favorite U2 songs on it, uh, Angel of Harlem and I Want You. Yeah, I, I love those. And opening with Van Diemen's Land, like it does. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's it, it's a really, really cool. And, it, and it's different. Yeah, I mean, even think about how long it came out, how long ago it came out, and it's still different than most of the ones you watch today. Yeah, it would have been 88, 89. Yeah, and it's even today, it's still so different than any of these these documentaries that they put out. I never have understood why that album gets such a bad rap like it does. Um, see a lot of negative I'm, stuff about it. I like it. Maybe because there's not a lot of original stuff on it. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, but but the original the originals that are on it are good. I mean, I just mentioned Band Demon's Land um, and then Angel of Harlem, Desire, Love Rescue Me. Those are great tunes. Yeah. And then you got some really cool live performances. Yeah, I kind of sad that i didn't remember that one like i said it when you're trying to go through everything it's easy to overlook one we, we always forget always every list we ever do i've forgotten songs and i've thought about it later but how in the world did i forget that like for example we may do like a favorite songs which we have and it may be a month later i'm going around and a song comes on and it's like i don't think i named this and this is probably like my top five song of all time Right, like a, fr- a friend of mine who listens to our podcast, he got on to me uh, the other day when he was like, um, I guess he listened to that episode and we're like, who um, who would you bring back from the dead if you could, you know? And he was like, neither one of you mentioned Dwayne Almond. How could you not, how could you leave Dwayne Almond out? You know, he, you know, we don't, ha- we only had a couple albums from him and I was like, you know, that is a good one. I just, uh, man, it's hard to, it's hard to cover all your bases when you do these. It- it really is, especially when you've spent the majority of your life geeking out on music. That means you've listened to a whole lot of stuff. Right. And you've watched a lot of documentaries, listened to a ton of albums. You've had a ton of favorite songs. And to when one of us spits out an idea to the other one, to try to get all that down at one time is it's impossible it really is we just we do the best we can <laughs> completely impossible well everybody that's going to wrap it up for this week uh thanks for listening uh follow us on twitter at digital killed and like our page on facebook and follow us on instagram and subscribe to us on whatever platform you so choose uh chris and i'll be back again with you shortly we've got uh, a couple of uh irons in the fire uh for some possible interviews we hope pan out uh but we'll be back one way or the other with you soon take care thanks for listening <laughs>